0: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have crew members, Andy. Hello. And Sue. Hi, everybody. And we also have a very special guest, Lucia. Hello. Uh, do you want to take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about how you became interested in Star Trek?
1: Yeah, for sure. So my mom didn't have cable in the early 90s and the only channel that we got was like some Seattle channel and all they played was Star Trek and it was awesome. So that's basically how I got into Star Trek and it has kind of overtaken my life thus far. But my day job is studying English literature and different types of media and doing a lot of cultural critique with a feminist lens. So anytime I can analyze pop culture, um, especially sci-fi, that's where I'm at home. So that's me. Fabulous. And you and
0: I are both going to be on a super cool panel at Star Trek Las Vegas this summer, uh, celebrating 30 years of women in Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, along with Elisa Pearl, who's also been on this podcast, and Kayla Yakovino, who's also been on this podcast. And uh, oh, and Gates McFadden, of course. So that's uh, super exciting. And uh, who we'd we'll... love to have on the podcast. Yes, we're <laughs> just saying. To... Yes, we'll try and make that happen. <laughs> Um, but before we get into our main topic for today, just a quick reminder about the Women at Warp Patreon. We are fully supported by listeners to this podcast, and you can support our work by visiting patreon.com slash women at warp. That's patreo dot com women at warp. It helps to cover our expenses and our convention reporting, and in exchange you get access to hangouts, exclusive bonus content, things like that. So uh, check out patreon.com slash women at warp another way that you can support our podcast is by leaving us a review or rating on iTunes which helps people find us and it's just generally a nice thing to do to let us know what you think so uh, thanks for those who support us in various ways and the other item of housekeeping was Star Trek Las Vegas which I already mentioned so yay that's exciting our panel is tentatively, ske- or I guess it's firmly scheduled for Friday of the convention, and uh, we'll also be rolling out some information closer to the convention about possible meetup opportunities and things like that. Uh, Grace and I will be for sure present at the convention, so uh, look forward to meeting some listeners. So our main topic for today is, is Barclay and mental illness or mental health. This is another Patreon patron suggestion. One of our perks for uh, patrons of a certain level is to get to suggest a topic. And Sean asked us to talk about, quote, Barkley and the show's depiction of anxiety and mental illness. So we figured that was a pretty great topic. And it's also good because talking about just like mental health in Star Trek is a massive topic, so it's good to be able to sort of focus on the Barclay episodes as examples. So we're going to mostly be focusing on the TNGA episodes, I think, because that's where he's introduced. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit about Voyager near the end. Uh, But let's start off with Barclay's first episode, Hollow Pursuits. And I'm wondering if one... If any of you wants to start off with like what your impressions of that episode were, if you remember like the first time you saw it, and what your early impressions of Barkley were.
2: When I first saw this episode, it was a- when it first aired. So, you know, I was young and I took it at face value of, oh, look, isn't this funny? Look at, you know, these creations of... Our characters that we know and love that we don't see act this way. Let's all make fun of them. Haha, ha, Broccoli's Broccoli is a funny nickname. You know, <laughs> face value what they, I think they probably intended in a lot of ways for the casual viewer. Of course, that, you know, as an adult is very different. <laughs> Especially when we look at the scene in 10 forward. Uh, But I think we're probably going to be talking about that in more depth later. So I will pass on first reactions.
0: Andy, when you were doing first time Trek, do you remember what your first impressions were of Barkley?
3: My favorite thing right off the bat about Barkley is that he is one of the first people, if not the first person, to be straight up about what 99% of people would do with a holodeck. (laughs) Because let's be real—if I had a holodeck, I would absolutely use it for creepy shenanigans, one hundred and ten percent. And I enjoyed that he was at least open about it. I do think it's a—it's—it's it's a pretty creep move to put real people in it, especially coworkers. And I wish that he had not done that. As amusing as the goddess of empathy is. But other than that, I remember liking Barkley and not liking the other members of the Enterprise and how they reacted to him. Like, the imme- my immediate reaction to Riker and Geordi's conversation about him was, like, these are these are leaders? These mm-hmm. are managers of people? Like, mocking him and wanting just to get rid of him, it was all very gross.
0: yeah. You know that you're not in a supportive work environment when you're being bullied by Wesley Crusher.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And also, broccoli might be the silliest, like, insult nickname I've ever heard. It's not clever at all. It's also really, really, like, soft. Like... It's not exactly the most devastating nickname I could have come up with. Let's say that.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Um, I do want to get back to the question about, uh, like, recreating your coworkers or your friends in the holodeck. But, um,
1: Lucia, do you have any sort of recollections of your first impressions of Barclay? I mean, I I know that I saw it when I was quite young. And then I think when I was watching it again as a teenager, I mean, I think we all go through the phases of, like, what crew member are you most like? Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized that, well, maybe I'm a little bit of a Barclay um, at heart. Mm -hmm. And I think what, yeah, what struck me was just how unprofessional and ridiculous everyone else was acting, and that it just was these incremental conversations where people were talking about him, but not to him. And thus I got really, really frustrated with the rest of the crew.
0: Yeah, I just remember as a kid, I think, just thinking he was funny, but certainly... Now, as an adult, the first thing that really stuck out to me was Geordi and Riker just basically saying he's not fit to be on this ship, um, not inquiring whether there's anything they could really do to support him, not really being willing to get to know him. And um, there's, like Andy said, that that scene in uh, Ten Forward. I think you're talking about the one with Guinan, right? I think that was me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> No. <laughs> you Were Were you talking about the one with Guinan or oh, or do you mean the no, beginning?
2: I was talking about the scene in 10 forward where Jordy and Barkley are actually sitting down and talking through things <gasps> right. towards the end. Right, which is
0: after the thing with Guinan. Yes. Because Guinan basically goes on that, the talk about, you know, uh, you should try to get to know him and Jordy is saying, well, like, like Guinan, no one wants to be around him. Mm-hmm. He's always late. And, you know, she's like, well, maybe if you knew people didn't want to be around you, you might be late and... Whatever the other, nervous, I think, is the other thing. And because Guinan always knows what's right. So, yes. And then, yeah, that scene with Jordy.
3: (sighs) I just, I was, like, really unimpressed with both Riker and Jordy from a manager perspective. If you have a member of your team that's struggling and your first thought is, how do I get rid of him? instead of thinking, how do I support him in this environment?
2: That's just really, uh, that's like manager 101. I have been in this position in real life as a manager, and it's not easy. And sometimes I think people are, of course, afraid to open up as we see Barkley. He's really like unsure about sharing what's going on with him, with his manager, especially when there's this history of... Jordy not being supportive but when you don't know what's going on as a different person and you want to be supportive but you're not being told what's going on you don't know how to help am I making sense like I had an employee at one time who was having actually a lot of similar issues with lateness and lack of focus and not communicating well and, you know, we did a lot of retraining, we asked her what was going on. And months and months later, she finally felt comfortable, you know, telling us that she was dealing with depression. And that affected, that it affects all all parts of your life. So, I mean, I think there's a lesson on both ends of being ready to, to help people and support people. But if you need that help, sometimes you really do have to ask for it and tell people what is going on with you.
3: I think the problem with that is, especially in America, and I'm sure our, our Canadians are very jealous of our, <laughs> our labor laws that allow you to get fired for just about anything.
2: Right. That's, and that's what I mean by people being afraid to, to disclose those sorts of things. You're afraid of any consequences that might come down on you.
3: Yeah, I 110% would not tell my boss that I was suffering from depression because I can get fired for anything, including health problems. But that's more of a, hey, America's grand type situation more than it is. But there's just a stigma about mental health that's still in, in the workplace now. I would like to think that at this point in time in Star Trek land, that that stigma would be gone. But considering how ill-prepared they seem to be to handle his anxiety, I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah, I think what struck me was, not just in Hollow Pursuits, but in the other TNG episodes, was that Barclay's job is always at risk. Like, he's being taken off projects, or he's being put on medical leave. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, a how. Are, how can we work with you to make this a more supportive environment? The first step seems to be, we need to get this person off the job. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There seems to be sort of this repetition of, like, it's this idea that he's almost having these relapses of his various Mm -hmm. issues. And therefore, let's take, give you time off to get back to quote unquote normal instead of like, I don't know, uh, like an actual, uh, you know, accommodation approach where, like you said, you'd work with someone to figure out how can we make your job work better for you? So, yeah. But I mean, I think part of the problem is this idea of, um, well, you know, we've talked about before that some of the TNG writers didn't seem to have the most tremendous respect for mental health issues as serious issues. Um, and also for Troy's role as a mental health professional. Apparently, actually, um, this episode was actually supposed to be more of a Troy episode where Troy was playing a more significant role and sort of Barclay was more of like a vehicle to show her doing actual mental health, like psychoanalysis, counseling work. And uh, so I think that was mentioned by one of our Facebook readers, actually. Um, So thank you for that. And... That was kind of interesting. It it felt like instead, you know, there's a lot of comments about him as like a sort of like a nervous nerdy fanboy or, uh, you know, basically like the equivalent of a teenager with a hollow addiction as if you could kind of separate that from what, at least to me, was very clearly a type of anxiety.
2: I tried to look more into like the creation of this character and I feel like no matter where you look, you're not getting the full story because I, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say reports are necessarily conflicting, but I mean, according to, to a source from Wikipedia, which came uh, from cinema journal, the one of the writers, Sarah Higley created the character with Hollow Pursuits, and according to Sarah Higley, Barclay is a satirical depiction of Trekkies and their excessive obsession with imaginary characters. But according to Memory Alpha, the idea for Barclay was Gene Roddenberry's, and according to Dwight Schultz in an issue of TV Zone, he realized that the type of character was missing from the program. And eventually said, let's fill that spot.
0: See, that feels weird to me because Gene Roddenberry is so known for wanting really perfect, heroic characters and not wanting to accept that we would have any, you know, kind of any mental health problems in the 24th century, as evidenced by that uh, episode where the kid's mom dies that he really didn't want to have because kids wouldn't grieve. So, you know, if kids aren't going to grieve over dead parents in the 24th century, are people going to have social anxiety?
3: You remember that episode of TOS in which the kids' parents died and then McCoy is like, (laughs) Yay! They're crying! (laughs) They finally dealt with their grief over their parents. I'm sorry, I I had to put that in there because I I think that's the funniest thing that McCoy has ever done. In the worst (laughs) episode, whatever that episode is called.
2: (laughs) And the children shall lead. It's just like, why would the writers create a character that is intentionally there to mock their fans? But Mm -hmm. also, like, clearly that that's some of it, right? Because there's definitely a lot of disrespect going on in Hollow Pursuits. But also, every time that Dwight Schultz talks about the character, he's always talking about it from a positive perspective,
3: Yeah, I think it kind of backfired on them because he plays it with such warmth.
2: Mm -hmm. But I think there's there's something missing to this story of the creation of this character that we're just not getting.
0: Yeah, for sure. Certainly, there are people, I would say that the... We didn't get any negative feedback about Barclay that I saw on our Facebook page. And most of the reading I I saw on forums was really positive. But there are some people who kind of resent that feeling that he was a fanboy caricature. Um, Jordan Hoffman from the Engage podcast has an article at StarTrek.com where he, I think, doesn't totally correctly use the term Mary Sue, but said that he felt like it was like a nerdy fanboy Mary Sue and wanted to see More aspirational figures on Star Trek, not people who were like him but made him feel like he was being made fun of.
2: See, I would argue that Barclay is an aspirational figure. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I have and do struggle with anxiety, and being able to see somebody who has those problems being portrayed as brilliant on the flagship of the Enterprise solving problems is aspirational.
3: Yeah, and I also have a tendency to watch his episodes and just feel so damn proud of him. I mean, we haven't gotten to Realm of Fear yet, but he like really shows a lot of courage in that episode. And really, throughout all of his episodes, he does all of these things he's not comfortable with and like tackles all of these demons. And there's so many times when I just want to cheer for him. And just be like, yes, I have been there where it's so hard. These things that are easy for everybody else are so hard for you. And it's fun to celebrate that. Like, I I suffer more from depression than anxiety, although I have that lovely twofer. When I manage to go to the grocery store or do laundry, things that are extremely hard for me, I go out of my way to be like, yeah, you did it. Because it's like... That positive reinforcement is really important, and watching him succeed is very – it makes me feel fuzzy. Yay. Yay. Go,
1: Barkley. It's weird, because I I ended up looking on the Reddit thread about Barkley and mental illness, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't so much a discussion about Barkley, but like, oh, this is – this wouldn't happen in the 24th century because – I think, and the quote was, having a character in the 24th century with severe mental problems makes as much sense as writing in a character suffering from scurvy on the Big Bang Theory. (laughs) So then it was just this whole kind of speculative discussion about whether or not mental illness would be like eradicated by the 24th century, which like on the one hand, they were talking about when it pops up in the various um, shows, but I couldn't help but Feel a bit like this is sometimes veering into kind of like eugenics territory. Like, mm-hmm. we we can't have mentally ill people in the future. Like, heaven forbid. Yeah, because TNG does explore disability, like with Jordy and the Masterpiece Society, but not so much in the realm of mental illness.
3: Well, it it doesn't quite fit into Star Trek the way that it's been written in the past. I mean, that we do have episodes like whom God's destroy where they actually put together like a pill that like fixes all mental illnesses, which obviously makes zero sense, but it, it already, this is an issue where it's already a bit dated a couple decades after it aired, you know, like it, he's clearly not on any sort of medication, you know? So it's, it's does have an odd kind of, how do I put this, almost anachronistic Mm -hmm. feel to it. But I don't think it's so much that there would be no mental illness, or at least I think that we probably won't get rid of it. But it feels like they just don't handle it very well. And I'd like to think that by then they would have some standard operating procedures for how to handle mental illness in the workplace because we're already seeing that now. You know, of so course. Th- that's kind of where I feel like that it doesn't fit kind of feeling comes in. But I do agree that this idea that we're somehow going to get rid of mental illness is a little bit, I side-eye that.
0: <laughs> well, I think it it's unrealistic, be- like partly because we know, and I don't think this understanding, this part of the understanding will change by the 24th century, that mental health is more than a brain chemical issue it's partly a brain chemical issue. I take medication for anxiety. It's lovely, but I also go to therapy and all of these things are also influenced by my environment, my genetics, you know, and there's, you know, my upbringing, things that happen to you in your life. That stuff isn't going to change. Like, we know now that they choose people to send into space, A lot of that is like psychological testing because space has a really weird effect on people. So where you grew up in the universe in the 24th century, that's going to have a big impact. But then this idea that you should, like, we should just be able to medicate it all away in the 24th century is also, um, I think, undervaluing the unique perspective that Barclay's sort of characteristics bring to the situation which i think we actually do get to see in realm of fear that if he wasn't so worried about seeming crazy he might actually have solved that problem before the very end of the episode and that happens a few times that because of his history you know even though uh he's demonstrated that um he has exceptional creativity and maybe like obsessive tendencies, but those tendencies drive him to solve incredible problems that no one else can solve. So, I mean, I I think we can go into more like of a general TNG discussion. Oh, actually, let's, um, before we move off of hollow pursuits, uh, let's talk a bit about the whole, this isn't directly related to mental illness, but the whole, should you make holograms of your co-workers? No. Okay, it's super creepy. But
2: also who really can deny that they've had a conversation with a coworker and has have not gone home and replayed that conversation in your head over and over again.
0: Mhm.
3: Yeah, and I actually think that like the this opens up a, a lot of possibilities for like therapeutic tools with the holodeck,
2: mm-hmm.
3: Like a guided thinking and mm-hmm. You know, all, I mean, think of all the different meditation techniques and and conflict resolution techniques that could be really effectively used in the holodeck. It's just maybe not this
2: way, maybe not in personal programs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and what was so interesting were like in the in the last scene of the episode where he's saying goodbye on the holodeck. It's to. The crew on the sh- like on the bridge, not to these imaginary characters, and so part of me was wondering then, like, well, why, why didn't he just create, like, the bridge crew hanging out on the bridge and kind of work through those problems rather than this very imaginative swashbuckling situation? Well,
3: he did have the the ten forward one where he has mm-hmm. one of my favorite lines of all time: "Under <laughs> Riker, you're nothing but a pretty mannequin." <laughs> <laughs> in a uniform which is i I swear to you the first time i saw that i must have spit take like i just remember thinking that was
2: the funniest thing plus troy looks gorgeous he also has a a counseling scene or a counseling program yeah right yeah
0: because he is too into troy to trust himself with real troy
2: yeah
3: that was so hard to watch for me because i was like Part of anxiety is not being able to be honest with, because you're afraid people will judge you. So Hmm. it's not being able to be honest with people about your feelings. Can you imagine trying, being in a counseling situation with someone you're so desperately attracted to and her being like, let's talk about you and you're trying to not look like a mess. Like that would, that would suck. If you have a mental health professional in your life, guys, and you're attracted to them, maybe switch professionals. You're never going to be able to be honest with them. And I mean, he ran out of there like he was on fire, and I don't blame him.
2: The other thing about those holodeck simulations that bring to my mind is theater, which we see him take part in in Nth Degree, but there are a lot of people in the theater community who have these anxiety issues who have social anxiety or who have other mental health issues or insecurities and participating in a theater environment where you're not you but you're this different version of you it takes a lot of that fear away
1: mm-hmm.
2: because if something happens it's well well, that wasn't me that was a, the character I was playing
0: mm-hmm.
2: and there's a lot of arts therapy that deals with that and I think that is it to Andy's point about the therapeutic uses for the holodeck? I think that's a huge part of it.
0: Yeah. I think that um, it, it, I used to be like very, very like this is always wrong. And also, Jordy is up on his high horse about this. Can we just <laughs> say? <laughs> um, and Jordy's all like, oh, this guy doesn't get how to talk to people. Let me go make out with my holographic. <laughs> Engineer girlfriend, poor Brom. But he
3: made her pasta. Okay, <laughs> she,
0: she owed him. <laughs> he made her delicious al dente pasta. But yeah, I mean, I think that this is a question too. It comes up several times in Star Trek, but like this whole idea about making holograms of real people. But how is that so different from like writing? Uh, fan fiction about real people or writing in your diary about them or drawing art or just having vivid fantasies and i mean i guess where i would say that it gets creepier in the holodeck is that we know like the computer is drawing based on like exact specifications of these crew people and therefore that's like more close to their real identities than just like replaying a conversation in your head over and over or like making fantastical art about someone but it's still weird
2: yeah and i do just want to talk a little bit more in depth about that scene with geordie in 10 forward that i love so much and it's the reason that i have a really hard time believing that he was meant to be a, a farcical mocking character mm-hmm. right because it, he finally opens up to somebody because Jordy is actually trying to reach out. And he says, "I'm the guy who writes things down to remember what to say when I get there I wind up at alone in a corner trying to look comfortable examining a potted plant." Right? Mm-hmm. I end up in the kitchen with the cat. But you know, they talk a little bit more and then Jordy is still doesn't get it and he says, "No, you're just shy." And Barkley says, just shy, it sounds like nothing serious. You can't know. Mm-hmm. And that whole scene, it breaks my heart because it is so true.
0: Yep. Yeah. You just need to get out more. You just need to meet people. You just need to whatever. Don't worry so much. Just don't worry
2: about it. Oh, well, thanks. You fixed it. You cured me.
3: Yeah, that speech he has there hits really close to home. There has to be a very precise number of people that I'm comfortable around before I can have fun at a party. Otherwise, guaranteed, I'm in the corner with my back to the wall so no one can sneak up to me, like, miserably sipping on a drink and trying to avoid eye contact of everyone. And uh, I don't think that he is alone there. I think there is a reason why we put a call out for comments on Barkley and we got a lot of people saying that they identified with him because this this feeling of inadequacy and this inability to connect with people, I, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people that experience that. And it's painful.
2: So according to the National Institute of Mental Health of adults in the U.S. population uh, have anxiety disorder. Yeah. That's certainly not insignificant. No, not at all. That's almost one in five people.
0: For sure. I just, I think that it's unfortunate that in, that this thing about, you know, the summaries of the episode and uh, the way that they talk about his problem and this idea sort of that by, at the end by... Getting out of the holodeck is what he really needs to to solve his problems. It just it, I guess it oversimplifies the issue or implies that it's almost like a bad habit, like biting your nails, instead of an anxiety issue. Because yeah, there's um there's actually a really good article. In uh, OnTrackMovie.com called Star Trek's Poor Depiction of Mental Illness in a Hopeful Future uh, by John Dushak or Dushak. I'm not sure how you say that. Um, But uh, he says, while Reg's own work with Troy can likely be credited for his anxiety subsiding, the fact that his behavior and symptoms were chalked up to hollow addiction is deeply troubling. Although the concept of hollow addiction is an interesting subject to explore in a future where we can escape from life's problems thanks to technology, the holodeck was a coping mechanism for Reg rather than the cause of his symptoms. And I don't think that that really gets teased apart.
1: No, because I mean, I, I ended up watching um, Extreme Risk from Voyager after Hollow Pursuits mm-hmm. and thinking about how the holodeck... Like, thinking about how holodecks and mental illness are portrayed, where Belana is obviously engaging in self-harm on the holodeck. And for some reason, the very dark, like, scenario that she's put herself in raises, like, eyebrows for people. But somehow it doesn't for, for Barkley? Like, it's it's a symptom. It's not the cause. And yet I don't know how they don't see that.
3: I mean... When I am super depressed, one of the things that I do right away is a game. This is one of the huge reasons why I spend so much time gaming, is it's a distraction. It's a way to put yourself in a different place. It's, video games don't cause my depression, you know? They're a way for me to escape it. So I feel like sometimes people confuse, you know, cause and effect.
0: And, like, there's certain things that are deemed healthy ways of coping and not healthy ways of coping, and sometimes it seems like there, you know, maybe there's not as clear of a line.
3: Yeah, like, reading all day is something that's not a big deal, but if I game all day, I'm a big loser.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, no one's ever been like, Jarrah, you're a gardening addict. Go meet people. <laughs> 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 are you a gardening addict, Jarrah? I can't stop pulling weeds.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, like exercise. Like there are a lot of different ways and you know, maybe some are 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 more preferable like it's probably better for me to do 2 hours of yoga than 2 hours of gaming, but like we place value judgments on that mm-hmm. that are probably not helpful.
0: And a lot of times it is like uh you need to spend more time with people and that that's like based on this understanding that being healthy means being social and that maybe isn't uh, you know, a hundred percent true. Like you we all need social support systems, but this idea that, you know, if only you get out more that you're gonna feel better doesn't always work. Yeah, so we I think we can talk a little bit more generally about Barclay and TNG. Um after Hollow Pursuits, uh we get uh I think the, the his most significant episodes are uh the nth degree which is the one where he becomes part of the computer and becomes like a super genius uh there's realm of fear where he's afraid of the transporter but turns out that he's right that he saw something in the transporter and saves all these people um he's in also the episode ship in a bottle but i don't think it's as significant and genesis uh we find out genesis (laughs) we find out he's a bit of a hypochondriac
1: um
0: (laughs) so he goes through a whole bunch of other you know small diagnoses during this time, and uh does anyone have any thoughts on those episodes?
3: One thing is that I always find it hilarious that people act like he's irrational for being afraid of <laughs> teleporting, which is ludicrous.
0: <laughs> and then even go, Troy tells him that, Troy's like, no, you're totally right to be afraid. That's a legitimately scary thing.
3: Yeah, totally. She's right. And th- But then you've got everybody else sitting there like, it's totally safe. I'm like, how many transporter accident- accidents have we had on the Enterprise alone? And... <laughs> <laughs> and then I love that he gets up there, he's all sweaty and disheveled, and he's like, I can do it. And they transport him, and then giant monster things come out of nowhere and bite him. Like, that <laughs> is just unbelievable to me. Well, see,
2: I think right there is where mm-hmm. a lot of viewers conflate what's going on in this episode. He's not afraid of the transporters because he thinks he sees monsters. He's afraid Mm -hmm. of the transporters before that even happens.
3: Yeah, he's afraid that he won't.
2: He's afraid that he won't materialize again. Exactly. And that is
3: completely rational. I'm sorry.
2: A hundred percent.
3: I think it's just so funny that they act like it's a weird thing, especially in this universe where there's a million transporter
2: accidents. But when he gets up the courage to transport and he does see something, he's afraid to talk about it. Because he thinks they're gonna think that he is seeing things or he's making it up but he finally does and when he tells Jordy, I think I saw something the first thing Jordy does is say well let's check it out which yeah. is a- awesome that's awesome I have a ton of respect for that and that is as many times as Star Trek does terrible things like have managers who make fun of their their subordinates by calling them the names of vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime somebody is in a situation and says, I know this is going to sound completely made up or unreasonable, but I think this is going on. Somebody else always says, let's check it out. There's no one ever who's like, no, I don't believe you. That's not happening. It's always let's go check it out. They always believe each other.
3: I do also want to point out that he does the WebMD thing that no one should ever do like that. (laughs) Never Google your symptoms because you're going to convince yourself that you have some really rare, horrible disease. It's just asking for trouble to do that. But it, it did make me laugh because that is also very relatable. I once con- I once convinced myself I had a brain, a really rare brain tumor because I had tingling <laughs> in my feet. Like, this. <laughs> bad habit, guys, but very relatable.
1: <laughs> what gets me is that, like, at the end of the episode, well, obviously, like, transporter technology is terrifying because crew members got, like, trapped in there. So... I feel like that, if it were me, that incident would just make my fear even worse. But at the end, it's, he's just sort of like, he saved some people and he looks chill. But I'm like, what happens after?
0: I would prefer yeah. the shuttle too. Yeah. I really like Realm of Fear, actually. This was my favorite of all the Barclay episodes I rewatched. Mm-hmm. I was really pleasantly surprised by how much people's attitudes changed towards him yeah. over uh, the previous two episodes. and. Like Sue, you mentioned the thing with Jordy, but also even before that, when he can't go on the transporter, you know, he goes to see Counselor Troy, but like there's, I didn't feel like they really shamed him. Like they weren't like rolling their eyes, like, oh, Barkley again, he can't do the transporter. Like they were concerned that, you know, he maybe needs to get some support. So he goes to see Counselor Troy. Counselor Troy gives him the neck tapping thing. And he's second-guessing himself because he thinks people won't believe him. But like you mentioned, when he does bring it forward, they do believe him. It's only, you know, near the very end where they've tried to prove it multiple ways and they can't that Picard starts to say, like, well, maybe you've been under a lot of strain. Um, But overall, I thought that people were, you know, really supportive of him during that time. And it, it showed, you know, that you can... Someone can, you know, just by being a better like friend and giving people a bit more space that you can have good outcomes
1: i was really like when o'brien right like opens up and shares that like the whole story about the spiders that are like whose legs are like a meter long and talks about having to face that in a work situation it just felt like a really generous moment of like masculine vulnerability Mm -hmm. That happens a lot, I think, in DS9, but in TNG is super rare.
0: Yeah, I was like, that's the most open O'Brien's been with anyone other than Bashir. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was
3: lovely. He was trying to relate to him and make him feel comfortable. And like, he didn't have to be ashamed for being afraid, which was quite lovely.
0: Yeah, and he didn't belittle it at all. He said it was like the hardest thing I ever had to do. So he knows he's like, Mm -hmm. I know this is going to be really hard for you, but you'll find it isn't as bad as you expect. I really liked that. I also um, just to contrast again, I forgot to mention that also in Hollow Pursuits, he gets kid-splained by Wesley as well as bullied by him. Like he's in that meeting, and Wesley is like engineering, explaining to him in a really condescending way, and then he has to go into that thing where he's like, "Oh man," and I shut him down. Ah,
1: oh. like yeah, Wesley. Way to go, Wesley! And then Data was the voice of reason. I mean, he was barely there during the whole episode, but he's like, "Well, why, why are you making fun of him? Yeah, um, why are you doing all these things?" And of all of all the characters who might actually understand social interaction being complicated, you would think, or I would think anyway, that Data would be a logical choice. Mm-hmm. Again, I suppose that would depend on the plot being actually nice to Barkley rather than belittling him the whole time. So, Although in the
0: nth degree, Dana's also like, he's a terrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the nth degree was a bit like, uh, it was a bit mixed in terms of it, how it talked about Barkley. I mean, it wasn't even so, so much about uh, mental health, although it's, you know, he basically discovers confidence and super genius and becomes, like, immediately a better actor and engineer. Um, But there was definitely – I think the the senior staff still felt like they were on a different level from him, by the way that they talk about, you know, is he going to be dangerous? And, uh, you know, well, he did make a pass at me. And then that, like, that whole (laughs) Troy thing (laughs) – is like it, it's just a whole weird angle or a weird um dimension to the thing the whole way through the fact that he's is like attracted to her for a really long time and she's his therapist.
3: Yeah, but I will take a good one. Any day, yes, because the, especially the look that Riker gives her is priceless.
0: Yeah, that was funny. Speaking
3: of priceless looks, we forgot to mention that Picard, when he messes up and calls Barclay <laughs> oh, yeah. Brackley, yes. his face is one of the best faces. Ah, oh, so funny.
1: Uh, that's so true. And I love that Data jumps in again. Like data's like. By the way, this is what you know. What happens when you reverse the syllables? And it's going to be all right. And Picard's just like, I I can't <laughs> right now. I'm so mortified.
2: I think Mth degree is interesting because when they see changes in Barclay, that that's exactly what they say, right? They're saying something's different. Not like, oh, he's finally better, but like something has changed about him and he's not himself anymore. So I think even from the time between hollow pursuits and nth degree, we see some attitudes from the senior staff change about Barkley. And it's gone from like, that guy is weird to like, Oh, that's just how he is.
0: You know, one thing that has come up in some of the discussions and some of the forums I was reading was, um, a discussion of like, in addition to anxiety, uh, or, uh, hypochondria, Does Barkley have uh, autism or Asperger's, a a form of autism? And um, I would say that I am not remotely capable of diagnosing that on a TV character. Um, But I did read a lot of forums and uh, people who are on the spectrum were divided on it. Um, But there was, uh, there's a good blog called the Asperger's and Me blog, where one of the bloggers said, uh, she actually didn't think he had Asperger's, but said, I like the open admission that the blame cannot fall entirely on the person who is anxious, that it is only good and right to meet people halfway, and that even quote unquote, perfect people can have prejudices they need to overcome.
2: For sure. And I mean, I don't think any of us would be as presumptuous as to attempt to diagnose him as such but there are definitely a lot of blog posts and a lot of uh forum threads where people who do have autism or asperger's are saying that they identify with him and have learned things from that character so whether or not you want to claim that the character has those things i don't think matters as long as there's something that you look to that you can identify with I think is what's important.
0: Yeah. Like, I think for me, it would be like, I have anxiety, and this is what I identify with with him. Yeah, for sure. Does anyone else have anything they want to add on Barkley and TNG? Uh,
3: just that he was adorable in First Contact.
0: All right, let's talk about First Contact briefly, where he <laughs> scares the pants <laughs> off of Zaphram Cochran while wearing the world's ugliest vest. Uh,
3: I feel like he's not the ugliest that we even see on Star Trek, but... But he—he's adorable and wearing an ugly vest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It looks like it has, um, like, giant plastic clips at the front, and so it looks sort of like a life jacket crossed with a, an olive <laughs> green quilt, but, but yeah, he basically is just like, oh, Dr. Cochran, I'm so impressed, like, excited to meet you, and it's such an honor, and, uh, starts talking about the big statue, or, actually, is it, LaForge tells him about the statue, right? And then they're like, why did you have to tell him about the statue? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's pretty cute. It was nice that he got to have a cameo in that. All right, well, Andy's going, Andy's going to duck out because we're going to talk about Voyager. So, uh, do you want to, before you go, tell people where they can find you on the internet? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter, at
3: first time trek where I'm live tweeting my way through Star Trek. I'm also second time tracking some stuff. I second time tracked, uh, some Barkley episodes today. So, uh, yeah, that's the easiest place to find me. Awesome. All right. See y'all. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. All right. So, you know, when me and Sue were working on the outline for this episode, uh, we were very surprised to realize that Barkley is actually in more Voyager episodes than he is TNG episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Although I would say that there, there are really only like a few of them that are significant in terms of his mental health. But I guess like, we want to ask the question, did Voyager do better than TNG in Treating Barclay as a, I guess, more fully formed character who is, you know, not always just played for laughs. I think for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's still treated with suspicion. Like he's always, if he's doing better, he's treated with suspicion. If he's not showing up to work, he's sort of treated with suspicion. And obviously, obviously, like the premise of what he's doing in Voyager about wanting to contact them and figure that out is, I, you know, star Starfleet kind of ludicrous um, understandably so, but he's not treated as completely, I guess, irrational or unreasonable.
0: Yeah, I think, so Pathfinder is the first episode where he appears where Uh, It starts out with him sort of summoning Troy to San Francisco um, and he's been kicked off this project to discover Voyager because he's, they think that he's addicted to a hologram projection of Voyager. He's like having the doctor give him massages and he's playing Velocity with Harry Kim Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff in addition to having conversations with the Voyager crew um, who are all basically adoring of him in order to try to, find a way to communicate with them.
2: And we get a lot of his like post TNG backstory in this. We find out that he's been in this apartment for two years and hasn't unpacked. We we find out that his commanding officer on his project uh, says he's been giving him a lot of leeway. So Mm -hmm. maybe that means he's had a more supportive work environment than when he first got to the Enterprise. Uh, But we also hear him say, That when he left the Enterprise, he felt like he was leaving his family. And, you know, we saw the attitudes towards him change over the years on the Enterprise. So that makes a whole lot of sense to have to start over when you have such severe anxiety. So for his character, what we know of him, it kind of makes sense that he would create this program where he feels more comfortable because he has lost all of his social interaction leaving the Enterprise.
0: He did get a kitty. It's named Neelix. It's very (laughs) floofy. It apparently isn't working for him, though. (laughs) Maybe he's using cats wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I, I appreciate in this episode that we get to see you know the the way that and actually this episode and um also the other episodes where he's a hologram or where he's interacting with voyager as a hologram we get to see like how he wants to see himself and that he wants to be like this confident joke cracking person he just really i guess like doesn't trust other people to validate him seems to be one of the key issues he has I just, I guess I had a bit of a hard time with the ending with Pathfinder where he gets kicked off the project and he busts into Admiral Paris's office and apparently freaks out his secretary and makes him look at his stuff. And Paris says he'll look at it, but because he's paranoid, he doesn't trust that. And uh, so then he breaks into the lab, evades security, does all this stuff that's like clearly not... Very cool by Starfleet regulations. and But then, like, at the end, they all forgive him because he's right.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's a very TOS ending. It was.
0: <laughs> they were all like, I guess you're going to be on the project forever now. Which, I, I mean, it's nice that it is good to see repeatedly that he doubts himself and other people doubt him. But he turns out to be right. It, it reinforces this whole, like, you're actually not that crazy. You uh, are someone who has these amazing creative ideas, and if people listen to you a bit more, then maybe you would get a bit further. But in this case, he really, like, he's going against everyone's advice, including Troy's. He's crossing a lot of lines, and just being right doesn't mean you don't have accountability for those actions. And it wasn't like earlier on he had made attempts to you know, seek accommodations or to seek support from his employers in other ways. If anything, like they were trying to support him and he wasn't really taking them up on those offers. So it's hard to say that they really had more of a responsibility than what they did.
1: Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the nth degree. And I remember when I was rewatching it just recently, that it ends up in the end not being Barclay's fault that he becomes like aggressive and shuts out the crew and is doing everything, like, on his own agenda and that kind of stuff. But then with Pathfinder, it's almost like he's going through that same, repeating those behaviors, like, erecting force fields so people can't get in and defying orders. Mm -hmm. But he does have agency. He can't just be like, well, these aliens just, you know, they just brought, they wanted me to bring you here. Um, So you could study them.
0: Yeah, and Paris even comes in, Admiral Paris, and is like, we're going to go with your idea. And they're like, oh, it's too late. He already went for it. Now he's running from security. Mm -hmm.
2: He is so consumed
0: with this idea of contacting Voyager,
2: which really is not just like, I have this idea. I want to prove I'm right. It's He's thinking about the people who are stranded out there, and he identifies with them, Mm -hmm. right? And so he's so... Consumed with this idea of contacting them that literally nothing else is more important to him,
0: yeah, yep, that's very true, and then in um lifeline uh he brings the doctor over to hang out with Lewis Zimmerman, and he's got i guess he also brings Troy over, but for once, he's not really the one with the mental health challenge mm-hmm. um so that was kind of cool just to see him as like a bit of a friend to. Zimmerman and Haley and the Doctor and Troy and just kind of more like a character who's making that happen. Oh, I guess I'll also say at the end of uh, at the end of Pathfinder, they have this like Voyager toast to Barkley, whoever he is, kind of thing mm-hmm. that is uh, kind of nice, I guess. It's cool that he gets credit for this amazing thing he did, even though they were gonna do it anyway legally. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that toast kind of, like, to, like whoever he is, it's like, well, you know, you could you could look him up. Oh, and that was actually like the not... weird thing that I
0: was going to mention, is they start out being, like, do- the doctor's like, I looked him up. Here's all of his yeah, medical conditions. Exactly. That was weird. I was like, would you just be, like, I wouldn't be, like, flattered if someone looked me up in a database and started out by listing all the times I'd visited the doctor. <laughs> it's like and then one time she thought she had a toenail fungus, but it turned out it wasn't. <laughs> and <laughs> then everyone would be like, Wow, well, if he can get a, if she can get us home, who cares what her toes look like? Right? <laughs> uh. Apologies, listeners. <laughs> Although <laughs> I know it's a
2: really short roll but I think we need to talk about the beginning of Endgame a little bit because we see a future for Barkley where he has become a professor at Starfleet Academy and mm-hmm. is comfortable making a toast at a party and feels like he's been adopted by the Voyager crew. But he's not, in, in the way that it's played, he's not that confident holodeck persona he's still the character that we know and love he's just made all of this progress and I think that's really nice I know that's like a cheesy thing to say but it's just heartwarming almost to see that he's still there and he has found somewhere that he's comfortable
0: yeah yeah and, I mean, in between, also, there's Inside Man, where he is also obsessed because his hologram has gone missing, so we get to see, the, like, confident hologram hanging out on Voyager again, um, although it's been co-opted by the Frangi. but then back on Earth, he is freaking out about possibly that, like, the Borg might have stolen his hologram, or, and he gets relieved of duty again, um, or at least told, he doesn't actually get relieved of duty. He gets told to take a vacation and then he stalks Troy to a beach. And she's like, do you realize how inappropriate <laughs> this is to follow your vaca- your therapist on vacation? And he's basically like, I just need you. And she's like, okay. So that's weird. But I guess we just suffer from the lack of counselors on the Enterprise. Why doesn't he
2: have a new therapist?
0: Yeah, literally. <laughs> he, uh, he calls her in Lifeline and... And she's like, the Enterprise is on a mission. And he's like, is it important? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Hold on. <laughs> like... <laughs> and, and she basically does get leave from Picard to come and sort out the doctor and Louis Zimmerman's issues. So that relationship is a little weird. But I mean, it is cool to see him, you know, continuing to seek help from a therapist even if it isn't really realistic that he would always be with the same therapist, despite those past issues as well.
1: Yeah, I kind of I'm thinking about Voyager and even like Troy's like Troy as the caricature in the first um, couple of seasons, and then how she finally is not just like the goddess of empathy. She's like a real person with, you know, an interest in command. And by the time Voyager is in the timeline, she's not this sort of yeah, like a mockery of what psychotherapy is. And so that makes me wonder in TNG, like how much of it is that Barclay was maybe sort of characterized, but also that Troy was such a poor, at least initially like written as such a poor reflection of what the mental health profession is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Especially because a lot of the, the times where Troy is useful, they're like, well, you know, she's an empath. I'm like, she also has a degree in psychology. Like it's not like she doesn't have training to be able to deal with these things. And so the incompetences that she has, especially in dealing with Barkley seem, yeah, just so problematic. But I think by Voyager, they're both more fully fleshed out characters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was, it did strike me though, at the end of, I think, Inside Man, she, um, asks Barkley to, so Barkley basically gets duped by this Dabo girl who's working for the Ferengi. And, Basically, Barclay thinks she's his girlfriend and she's a teacher and she just sits there and lets him talk about his work all day and she is essentially spying and they let him off the hook for that and Troy gets him to realize that he had sensed he had been a bit suspicious of her. But then at the end, Troy asks him to come on a double date with her and Riker and it's this whole, again, like you just need to get out, you need to meet new people and it occurred to me that there is, it's, I think, partly just the limitations of a an episodic television series. But there's not really an attempt to say to Barclay, like, what are your goals? It's like, mm-hmm. these are what your goals should be. And your goal should be to have a successful heterosexual relationship. No one's asking him, you know what, what's your priority? No, instead, it's the best thing to just keep forcing you out after you've just had like a pretty negative breakup. Mm -hmm. But overall, I do think it was an improvement. Sue, do you want to read comment from a Facebook listener to round, end us out here?
2: Absolutely. So we got some really interesting comments. I think my favorite is from Steve, Who wrote, I always felt like Barkley was written with sympathy, even while he had to suffer some mistreatment along the way.
0: Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll just go around and do some final thoughts. Uh, So, uh, Lucy, do you have any final thoughts about Barkley?
1: I think for me, just like thinking about the recent reboots where there's not like there is there are so many really like super heroic characters and how someone with the nuance of Barkley is something that I miss in the franchise and i hope that a character with that kind of yeah just humanity i guess and complexity comes along again and i think what i do appreciate most was that you know he still is awkward and nervous but he's a functional member of starfleet yeah which is is really inspiring for me and i think for the franchise generally mhm absolutely how
0: about you sue final thoughts
2: i agree completely i think that Barkley is one of the most real characters on Star Trek. And I think that is evident from the fact that he's in just a handful of Next Generation episodes. And fans loved him so much that they brought him into the movies and into Voyager. And I think he's incredibly relatable. So props writers and props Dwight Schultz for that portrayal.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. And I think that Also, even though I was just saying that thing about episodic TV, like almost at the end of every episode, he has a victory, but it's good to see that they don't just write away the problems that he faces. And, you know, we do see him evolve, but he doesn't just become that confident holodeck persona the next episode because he was right once or because, you know, he swallowed his fear and got on a transporter. So it it's important to see that uh, these are things that people face and continue to struggle with and can get help and support for. Uh, but, you know, it's it's unrealistic to expect them to just disappear.
2: Absolutely.
0: Definitely. All right. So thank you everyone for joining us today. Sue, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet?
2: Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Spelltor.
0: That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And thanks again to our guest for joining us, Lucia. Uh, where can people find you or is there anything else you want to tell people about what you're working on?
1: Yeah. So people can find me on Twitter at Empathy EmpathyWarrior. Um, and I realized yesterday that my handle is like kind of half Zoid, half Klingon, which awesome. excited. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me at Star Trek Las Vegas. I will be there. And yeah, hopefully we'll be writing a lot about Star Trek with Discovery coming out. So that's exciting. That's awesome. And I'm Jira, and you can find me
0: on uh, Tumblr at Trekkie You can also contact our show at Crew at Women at Warp.com. You can visit our website, Women at Warp.com, our Facebook, Women at Warp, our Twitter, at Women at Warp. And I think that's all the things. So uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time.